TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. As we are uh, taping today's broadcast, it's actually less than a week uh, since the tragedy, October 27th, uh, at Tree of Life or Lasimka uh, Synagogue in Squirrel Hill, where 11 people uh, were killed, six people wounded by a gunman. Uh, this is a tragedy that has really pointed up the close connections uh, between so many people in Pittsburgh. It makes it feel like such a small town. Seems as if practically everybody either knows somebody uh, from one of the congregations that met at the synagogue or uh, has been to events there. Um, but, but it seems as if everybody that I talk to has been touched in, in some way. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the aftermath of a traumatic event like this, and also uh, how perhaps the healing process can begin. Uh, Cindy Snyder is clinical director for the Center for Victims. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. And Emily Burton Blank is a therapist at the Center for Victims. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Great to be here. Great, great to have you uh, both here uh, in the studio. So, let me start off with a with a personal story. Um, we, we we tape these shows at a church um, where we rent studio space, and I also go to church here uh, Sunday morning. This past Sunday morning, I was sort of sitting in our church here, looking around, and it dawned on me that the demographic mix and roughly the same number of people was very similar to the mix of people that was at Tree of Life on Saturday morning. And that really kind of shook me up. And I'm wondering, and I, whoever wants to jump in and, and grab this, I'm, I'm wondering if that's a reaction that probably a lot of people in the Pittsburgh area are having right now. There's a way in which this event in our community has touched the lives and the hearts of so many people. It would be unusual to not have a reaction like that. You're in a place of wor- worship. You're in your house of faith, which is exactly what happened on the 27th at Tree of Life. People were there uh, practicing their faith and religion, and there are a lot of similarities across churches and communities of faith around the world, but particularly this week in Pittsburgh. I think what struck me is that I didn't expect it to hit me so personally and so suddenly it kind of crept up on me, and I'll, I'll pose this question to Emily. Is that something that sometimes happens for folks? Is that something is, is a triggering event and they're like all at once, the, the sadness or the fear or the anger, and I think people are feeling a lot of different things come in. Absolutely. And you know, there's something that was so routine about Saturday's events. People are going to services. It's their weekly routine. Um, and, and to be in a place where you, it's usually a second home, right? Our houses of worship are second homes to us. Um, and we're invested in the community and we have this belief in the shared faith. And then to have, um, even if it's not the same place of worship, if you're attending and you are not necessarily um, a direct witness or a direct victim, it makes absolute sense for the anger and for the rage and for the fear to come up um, just in our daily life, in our daily routine. Mm-hmm. Can you give us the hotline at the Center for Victims? And can you also uh, give us your website address? 
Yes, our hotline is 1-866-644-2882, and that is answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week by a human. We do not use an answering service. We have that particular line staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And our website is www.centerforvictims.org, all spelled out. And we are at 3433 East Carson Street on the south side of Pittsburgh, a recent move for us as of January 2018. And, and who can call the hotline or who, when, when should someone consider calling the hotline? Anytime that someone you know or yourself has been a victim of crime or violence, if you are fearful or being abused or threatened by a partner or someone close to you. If you have a child who has experienced any kind of sexual assault or physical assault, if you have a concern about your safety or anyone else's safety, or even if you are experiencing a conflict in your community, we actually have mediation services too. So anytime you're a victim or you feel threatened or anything like that, you can give us a call and reach someone and speak with them directly. And I'm going to add in, if you don't mind, yeah. um, also if folks are looking for education for their workplace um, or a school or a community center, we can absolutely provide some education services, especially related to trauma um, and victim advocacy services yeah. or victim services in general. And we also provide consultation services for clinicians in the community at various agencies or in private practice who are working with trauma survivors. So they'll come out and speak to a scout group, church group, synagogue, temple? Absolutely. Okay. Um, we'll give the information out uh, again uh, several times uh, during this half hour. Uh, Cindy Snyder is clinical director of the Center for Victims, and Emily Burton Blank is a therapist uh, at Center for Victims. We're talking about the tragedy at uh, Tree of Life, um, although I heard somebody say that they don't like the word tragedy in referring to this because it makes it sound as if it was a spontaneous accidental event when unfortunately it was someone who did this apparently with malice aforethought. There's a lot of emotions and I don't mean to make light of this situation but I described it the other day and I'm going to pose this one I think to Emily. It's almost like I have this tiramisu of negativity right now. It's like there's this underlying fear which is what really hit me Sunday morning was being afraid. Like I kept watching the door of the church which is something I've never done before. Overlaid with anger overlaid with sort of indignation that here were um, people who were at their Saturday morning Shabbat service had done absolutely nothing wrong and, you know, this have this violence inflicted upon them randomly, really. And overlaid with that is sort of, you know, rage and wanting to do something. And I guess one question I could ask is, how are people processing these sort of negative emotions. I, I understand that you're not trying to trivialize the response, but I, but it is multi-layered, yeah. right? And so um, just to kind of put some words to it, I think that fear can be called hypervigilance, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing we're hearing from a lot of people, whether they were in the synagogue or not, is looking for exits, going to the grocery stores, looking for exits, going to shopping or to um, a restaurant, wherever that is, and just being aware of their surroundings, being aware for that of that threat or the potential alert. Um, and that is something we call hypervigilance, and it is really normal for folks who've experience, um, the trauma themselves, as well as community members, just to be more um, hyper alert. And so I think that's a very normal trauma response that hopefully just subsides with some time and hopefully sub subsides um, with maybe some grounding techniques and breathing techniques we can always help with. And then of course, then what, right? So then you're talking about the anger and the indignation and then the what can I do? How can I participate? How can I make this better? And I think people are trying to process all of that at the same time, which sometimes we have to 
break it down and say, you know, what are you experiencing now and put names to it and normalize and validate it. Um, and sometimes the, the then what comes a little bit later, right? So maybe that's attending a vigil. Maybe that's attending a funeral service or a shiva if people are connected to these family members um, or to these um, mourners. Or maybe that's doing something in their own community. Maybe they're not connected to the Jewish or the Scroll Hill community, but maybe it's doing it in their own place of worship. Maybe it's donating some money. I think for everyone that looks a little different and there's things to do. It, it, it strikes me, and we're going to have to take a break here in uh, about 30 or 60 seconds. We had um, uh, one of the local funeral directors, uh, Chris Adasso, on this program several months ago, and he talked about grief counseling and the grieving process. And he said that's one of the reasons why we have funerals or why you sit Shiva is to give you time to process sure. the grief, the sadness, the trauma, sure. um, rather than just sort of pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and one story that emerged this week was how many people sat with the bodies uh, at the Allegheny County morgue mm-hmm. um, as the medical examiners were doing their work um, and sat at the synagogue all day Saturday and into Sunday morning while they were processing the crime scene so that the the dead would never be alone. There's a religious aspect of that, but it occurs to me, is there an aspect that's that's healing for the people doing it as well? Well, I think there is value in being present, and there's lots of ways to be present. Being present at the crime scene was certainly one. You know, there are many, many Jewish traditions about how the bodies of the deceased are treated, and and, and there is, in, in that faith, an amazing um, honoring of the dead. And I think in this situation, that has been much magnified because of the manner of death for folks. So I think when things like this happen and people feel so helpless and sometimes hopeless that any small thing they can do is of value. Um, you know, the Center for Victims has been at the JCC beginning on Saturday when the victims and their family members began arriving. And we have staffed that with uh, clinicians and advocates and victims' compensation people all week. And we're going to be there through Saturday. So I think that's the other thing that people are doing is that they're now starting to identify their own need to talk about their experiences, whether that was as a community member, a congregant, a family member, a directly impacted um, family member in terms of having lost someone or having someone be injured. So there, yes, people need to show up and they need to be in relation with each other. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, let's pick it up there. Let's talk about what the Center for Victims uh, has been doing for folks. Um, let's talk about ways that people, if they have just begun to process, it's been kind of a steady drumbeat of news all week. It's been kind of hard to avoid. It's what's been on people's minds and their hearts all week. So um, it may be that things are still emerging for folks. Uh, we're talking this morning with Cindy Snyder. She's clinical director at Center for Victims. We're also talking with Emily Burton Blank. She's a therapist at Center for Victims. And we are, of course, talking about the uh, terrible events of October 27th. You are listening to Radio 81 WEDO, 1550 and 101.1 WZUM, the Pittsburgh Jazz Channel, Internet Radio, WMCK.FM, and TubeCityOnline.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes. Support comes from the readers of TubeCityOnline.com and the Tube City Almanac, and we thank them for their support. If you'd like to contribute, please visit our website, call us at 412-614-9659, or email us 
at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com. Welcome back. Our guests this morning are Emily Burton-Blank. She's a therapist at Center for Victims. Cindy Snyder is clinical director at Center for Victims. You can reach their 24-hour hotline at 866-644-2882. You can also find them online at centerforvictims.org. And for folks from the uh, McKeesport area, of course, this is another thing that we do in Pittsburgh is we always remember what something used to be called. Uh, people may remember uh, Women's Place. And may remember the Center for Victims of Violent Crime, and Center for Victims is the product of a merger of those groups uh, a few years back. When we took the break, I was talking about the fact that I think it's a little bit surprising that, you know, we had the tragedy on Saturday, but it really started to hit me the next day. Will things continue to emerge for people over time? Absolutely. Um, what we know about trauma is that, first of all, it hits everyone a little bit differently. And there are definitely some common symptoms and responses post a trauma between people. Um, but there's also a lot of um, individuality. And so what we know kind of overall about a trauma response is oftentimes the initial acute response looks really different than six weeks, even six months later. So sometimes that means sleep disturbances right up front. Sometimes that means shock and denial and a little bit of emotional numbness. Um, sometimes then as time progresses, oftentimes we see maybe more or different sleep disturbances, changes in eating patterns, um, maybe some avoidance of conversation, of places, of people, isolation. Um, we see people also trying to get back to work and that being really difficult. So we see issues with concentration and sometimes with memory. So definitely as, as time progresses, we see what we call kind of different symptomology, um, which is really, really normal. And it's exactly what the body is needing to just continue to process a traumatic event. Um, it can also include reliving. So if someone was either there or not there, maybe in their mind, they're kind of reliving some memories. So it's almost, it's almost when you say it's sort of what the body needs to heal, it sounds almost like if you have an infection or a virus or, you know, you've got a bruise or something mm -hmm. or it takes time and different people heal at different rates. Absolutely. I think that's a fair way to say it. And I think just like a cut, you know, our body knows how to clot and knows how to stop the bleeding. Our brain is working towards healing as well. Sometimes it just needs extra facilitation. Sometimes that's in the form of therapy. Um, and so we at Center for Victims do have a whole therapy staff, including ourselves, um, that can provide individual and group therapy for homicide survivors. Is there a charge? Is there a cost? There is not. At this point, we are um, fortunate enough to not provide or to provide services free of charge. Do, do people um, at different age levels process a traumatic event differently? I don't know, Cindy, do you want to take that one? So it's certainly we take into consideration developmental stages. So, you know, when, when children's brains are not fully developed, trauma is going to impact their brain and their bodies differently than a fully developed adult brain. So what we do at Center for Victims is we understand the developmental level of the child or the person, um, you know, their emotional development, their social development, their physical development, and we tailor our understanding of the impact of that trauma and our interventions based on that information that we gather in, in sitting with people in a process that we call assessment. Um, but yes, it's, it's different. It's different across age ranges, and it's also different based on people's previous life experiences. Yeah, I was wondering about that. So if somebody has had previous traumas in their life where they felt unsafe or, or unsecure, this is going to be, I get back to that multi-layered thing, mm -hmm. that this is going to layer something on top of that then. It's going to reopen. Absolutely. 
old trauma. Absolutely. And I think reopening it, you know, I definitely think I say to clients all the time, trauma is connected to trauma is connected to trauma, right? So even if they're different types of traumas, it brings up the ones from the past inevitably. Do people sometimes minimize or let me ask the question, how, how do they minimize? Do they say, well, you know, I wasn't directly there. You know, mm-hmm. I was outside or I was at home. This didn't directly affect me. So I should just get over it. Most definitely. Most definitely. I think, um, you know, for folks, whether they're impacted by being in the community, maybe they don't live in Squirrel Hill, maybe they're not connected to the Jewish community. I've heard some um, of them say, well, I, I didn't know anyone or I wasn't there. Or, I'm not connected to this. Or people who were in the community, but maybe weren't in the um, synagogue that day say, well, I wasn't there. I'm not a victim enough or I'm not bad I'm enough. I'm not a victim enough. Right, right. Wow. And so that's a really powerful message that we hear. Um, or maybe from some people, they were in the synagogue, but they didn't see anything. Um, they were able to get out in time. And and there's some survivor's guilt as well of like, why them, not me? How did I get out? Right. So there's a lot of, I think, questions that way. Um, and for us, part of our role is to validate the experience, right? So it's not about the, the level of who had it worse or who suffered more. Suffering is relative, right? And, and validating their experience is true and authentic. And, and what can we do to support them? I, I don't want to talk about someone in, in the third person, especially when they're not here, but mm-hmm. I saw one of the stories that I saw over the past week was of one of the rabbis who was leading services there that morning, and he was able to get half, I guess, of his congregants out one door, but was unable to run across the sanctuary fast enough to get the other ones, and he was being interviewed by one of the TV stations, I think, and said he's going to live with that for the rest of his life, that he got some of them out. But he couldn't reach all of them. All of them. And that's the survivor's guilt. Absolutely. And how powerful is that? How is it? Can that be crippling? Can that be really? It absolutely can be crippling. And, you know, depending on, again, um, a person's resiliency uh, skills and strengths, um, what kind of social support and network they have, all of those things are going to influence the gravity of how that gets carried onward mm-hmm. in life. Um, you know, it, it brings up the idea of, of forgiveness, which in situations like this is a very, very complicated conversation. And, you know, oftentimes at Center for Victims, the concept of forgiveness comes up with our clients. It comes up with our staff, even. And I think where many of us have come to is this idea of forgiveness is not that you forget, not that you make the act okay. It's that you figure out a way to move forward in your life so that the decisions you make in your life are not so driven by what you experienced. And for many of us, that's, that's forgiveness. Um, we have, this time goes so quickly. We have uh, our uh, second 30 second break to take. When we come back, let's talk about are there strategies that people can employ um, to sort of take those negative emotions and, and maybe find some ways to move forward and make them not be self-corrosive, okay? Okay, sure. Uh, Cindy Snyder is clinical director. Emily Burton-Blank is a therapist. They are at Center for Victims. Center for Victims has a 24-hour hotline at 866-644-2882. 866-644-2882. They've got a website also at centerforvictims.org. And you are listening to Radio 81 WEDO, 1550 and 101.1 WZUM, the Pittsburgh Jazz Channel, Internet Radio, WMCK.FM, and Tube City Online. 
Online.com. Stay tuned. We'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. You're listening to Two Rivers, 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media, Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Welcome back. Our guests for a final few minutes are Emily Burton-Blank. She's a therapist. Cindy Snyder is clinical director. They are at Center for Victims, 866-644-2882. They provide trauma and support and counseling services for people suffering from all kinds of of situations, uh, domestic violence, uh, victims of crime, uh, people who have witnessed crime, um, all sorts of, uh, it, it's, it's not just for one specific type of trauma. It's for, and, and you work with, we, we've talked about Center for Victims on this program before. You work with the Allegheny County District Attorney's Office, with the different police agencies, the different investigative agencies, um, but someone does not need to be referred they can Correct. reach out to you directly. Absolutely. Okay, and that includes, again, I want to emphasize uh, people who uh, may be suffering from uh, partner violence or uh, domestic violence in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, we, when we, we took the break, I asked, one of the things that with this sort of negativity, as, as I mentioned, the multi-layered kind of fear, anger, indignation, um, rage, not knowing what to do, I, I think there's a way that that can become corrosive if you kind of turn it on yourself. Mm-hmm. So are there strategies for people listening right now who are afraid, who are angry to, to try to begin that healing process or help that healing process along and sure. turn those negative emotions into something more positive? Absolutely. I think of healing um, kind of an also, I guess, a multi-layered response. So maybe the individual, family, or social and community. And so I think we have to hit healing kind of on all layers. So individually, maybe that means therapy. Maybe that means um, creating a practice of yoga or of deep breathing or of finding grounding techniques that kind of bring you back to the present. Because sometimes we can live or stay in the traumatic time and we need to remind ourselves that we are safe now and that we are okay. Um, and oftentimes we need extra support to do that. I think also from like the family or a social level, um, continuing to talk about this with our friends and our family, right? Having open, honest dialogues about how we're being impacted. And I think that can look the same with coworkers as well, right? Especially in a city the size of Pittsburgh, um, whether or not you knew anyone, we're all impacted by this. So continuing that conversation and then um, communally. So as a society or as a community, what does it look like to heal in that way? And like I said, maybe that's um, staying connected to our faith community. Maybe that's learning more about Jewish culture that we didn't know before. Maybe that's supporting a local um, Jewish business that you've not been to before. I mean, I think there's different ways of doing it. And I think it's part of that is being intentional. So how are we intentionally choosing um, to heal and what kind of steps does that look like? And it may not be the traditional steps we thought about, but I think we can be creative in that. And I would just add that, you know, part of, part of the task, both individually and um, community, is making sure that you continue to make space for the conversation. Because a lot of times, six, nine months, people may begin telegraphing, it's time to get over this. And that time really? is different. That is something that people do. Sure. For everyone. Okay. So continuing to make space for whatever the needed conversation is for Absolutely. people as individuals, as families, as uh, congregations, um, communities. It's important that there is ongoing space for the conversation, whatever that needs to be. I, I don't mean to put the, b- both of you on the spot, and I also don't want to take this show in a political direction, but that was one of the things with the president's visit to Pittsburgh that struck me was 
it was three days mm-hmm. after the tragedy and the narrative, the media had already now shifted to from the grieving process. As the funerals were happening Tuesday, the, the, the story was shifting to protesting and the political ramifications and what was this going to do to the midterm election. And I thought, this is absolutely, <laughs> this struck me anyways as the worst possible thing that we've shifted this to. Mm-hmm. Um, when will people know if it's the right time for them to move on? When will they know if the, if the time is right? I think that's a personal, personal choice and personal, um, decision. I, I think some people are wanting or in this hyper political atmosphere we're in right now. Some people are willing and wanting to get there sooner and get there quicker and talk about the elections and, um, talk about kind of the overall political climate. And there are going to be plenty of other people who said, this is just too soon. And I would say there's not a right or a wrong. And like Cindy just said, creating space for the dialogue and the conversation. Um, and also having the awareness of where you're at, right? So if you're not ready to engage in that political conversation, there is no problem, right? And sometimes we got to turn off the TV and shut down our phones and, and kind of disengage from that for a little bit. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes left. What are some signs? And, and I'm thinking specifically, and we touched on this briefly about how different age groups process violence or trauma differently. But um, what are some signs if someone's listening to this and they've got a grandson or granddaughter, niece or nephew, um, son or daughter, uh, a child that they're worried about, you know, they're seeing this on the news, they're seeing this on TV. One of the things I thought about was the Children's Institute being literally right across the street. That was one of the things that hit me Sunday was this is right across the street from the school. Um, What are some warning signs that you need to talk to the child about? So you certainly want to have the conversation in a way that's developmentally appropriate. And, and if your child has a question, just answer the question. Don't make your answer bigger than the question. Don't make it less than the question. Just answer the question. And talking about things like, you know, sometimes people don't understand um, people that are different from them or have different beliefs. And sometimes, you know, um, Bad things happen as a result of that. People make um, horrific choices. Uh, I think it's a, an opportunity to begin to discuss uh, within your family what your beliefs and values are. And certainly, you know, at Center for Victims, we hope that it's a nonviolent, inclusive conversation, but that's going to be different for different families. Um, the, the issue, I think, with the, the media is that, you know, children probably up until they're probably nine, eight or nine, um, when they see things repeatedly, they have a somewhat limited capacity to understand that it's the same event being repeated as opposed to bad things happening over and over and over over again. Sure. So if you are watching television, making sure if you have those younger children to say, this isn't a new event, this is just a different way of talking about or thinking about what happened once. And what about for someone who themselves, Emily, I think you touched on this, things like sleep disturbances, things Mm -hmm. like avoiding situations, things like 
a, a, a sudden panic attack or an anxiety attack? Sure. What are signs that we should look for in ourselves? Absolutely. So again, yep, reiterating the sleep disturbances, trouble going to sleep, staying asleep, nightmares, bad dreams, um, eating too much, not eating at all, social, social isolation, difficulty concentrating, definitely um, increased anxiety, having panic attacks. Um, I think anything that feels kind of people will talk about a general feeling of feeling out of control. I cannot mm-hmm. control my life right now. Yeah. Um, low mood, like feeling quite depressed for multiple days on end, feeling like they can't get back to activities they previously enjoyed. I think all of these are pretty um, telltale signs of traumatic experiences. And I think if um, whether people think that they're doing okay or maybe need help, it doesn't hurt to give us a phone call. I was just going to say, and and that may be the time then, whether you have a child or a loved one or yourself, Mm -hmm. to call that number. Give us the number again, uh, Cindy. It's 1-866-644-2882, and that is our hotline, which is answered by a human being seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You won't get an answering service. And if you'd like more information about the services offered at the Center for Victims, you can also visit their website, centerforvictims.org. But Emily Burton Blank, she's therapist, and uh, Cindy Snyder, she's clinical director at uh, Center for Victims. They are located on the south side on East Carson Street, 866-644-2882. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks You're welcome. Us. Thanks for having us. And thank you all for listening today to Radio 81 WEDO, 1550 and 101.5. WZUM, the Pittsburgh Jazz Channel, Internet Radio, WMCK.FM, and TubeCityOnline.com. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at TubeCityOnline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.